Chapter 4 We assembled. Jake, Rachel, Marco, Axe, and his own natural andalite body, which is a cross between a blue deer, a centaur, and a scorpion, and Tobias, who, though he regained his morphing power, is a red-tailed hawk. We assembled and tried to figure out what, if anything, we should do about a flying toy spaceship. But, really... There were only two possible things to do. One was talk to Axe. Axe, is there any way the Yurks would use some kind of tiny, miniaturized, uh, flying thing to locate the blue box? Jake asked. A flying thing, Prince Jake. What is a flying thing? That would be a thing that flies, Marco added helpfully. Like a... Like a toy spaceship, Jake said, ignoring Marco. Why would they use a toy spaceship? Axe wondered. They have real spacecraft. Axe kept his main eyes attentively focused on Jake, while his stock eyes looked at Marco and me. Jake shrugged and looked at me. I shrugged back. Which brought us to the one other thing we could think of doing. Going to Goodwill and finding the toy my dad had delivered earlier. We morphed to seagulls and flew there, all except Tobias, who has his own wings. We demorphed and Rachel, Jake, and I went in. We glanced quickly around the shelves and realized the toy we were looking for was not there. I went to the clerk, a college-stage guy. Hi, my dad dropped off some toys about a couple hours ago, along with a bunch of other stuff. And, well... It turns out, we gave you some stuff we shouldn't have. Yeah, his toy spaceship, Rachel said, pointing at Jake. That's right, my toy spaceship. If it just came in, it would still be in the back. They would have sorted it and probably stuck it with other toys. Okay, can we go look for it? I asked, smiling my most winning smile. What kind of spaceship was it? The clerk asked. Toy. Jake answered. The clerk rolled his eyes. I mean, what kind? Romulan? Federation? Klingon? Dominion? Ferengi? Or maybe it was from the Babylon 5 universe? Minbari? Shadows? Or is it from Star Wars? Was it a TIE fighter? Rachel and I both looked at Jake. Romulan, he said. The clerk jerked his thumb over his shoulder. Back there. But don't try and grab anything that isn't yours. You better come out of there with a Romulan ship. Of all the clerks and all the goodwills in the world, we have to get a science fiction fan, Jake muttered. We went through swinging doors into a loading dock area. There was furniture piled here and there. Boxes of electronic stuff. Old TVs. A lot of old clothes and a jumbled pile of toys. Dolls, action figures, games... Legos, a tricycle. It was like all the toys of the last decade 
We're having a convention on the cold concrete floor. Okay, do you see it? Jake asked me. I stepped gingerly around the scattered toys, picking my way over hairless Barbies and headless X-Men. Then I spotted a tangle of three toys. There it is! Next to the Klingon battlecruiser and the G.I. Joe attack module? I rolled my eyes. You're such a boy. Sometimes I almost forget you're... You know. I mean, it's sweet. Oh. That would be Rachel, of course. Jake sighed and went to pick up the toy spaceship. He turned it over, wrinkling his brow in puzzlement. Then, through the open loading bay, a swift silvery machine, no more than five or six inches long, swooped into the room. Whoa, Jake said. Toys have gotten so cool. I never had a toy spaceship that could... Oh, ow! What? I cried, jumping to Jake's side. He was cradling his right arm. I looked at it and saw two tiny holes burn through the sleeve of his morphing outfit. That little toy spaceship just shot me! Chapter 5 Most omnipotent leader, we have located the fools of the Galaxy Blaster. They have allowed themselves to be taken by the large aliens of this planet. But your loyal ship, Planet Crusher, will destroy all who stand in our way and save the other unworthy ship so that they might, perhaps, by mere accident, serve your great will. From the log of the Helmogron ship, Planet Crusher. The small silver ship blew past us, and I saw the engine nacelles glow an electric blue. It soared up toward the warehouse-style roof, then turned back toward us. I felt two pinpricks on my left cheek. Ow! That hurts! Let's back off, Jake said. Back off? Rachel yelled. Back off from a toy? I don't think so. She snatched up a wooden baseball pad from the pile of toys and rested it expertly on her shoulder. Come on, you little punk! Ah! My hair! They shot my hair! We all looked down in horror. There, on the concrete, lay the evidence. Half a dozen long, blonde hairs. The ends were still smoking. Okay, that's it. They're dead, Rachel said and swung the bat. The tiny spacecraft ducked as the bat blew past, inches above it. I hate to say it, Jake said, unable to stifle a grin. But since Marco isn't here to say it... Strike one! Oh, that's very amusing, Jake, Rachel snapped. I'll laugh right after I knock these little creeps into the bleachers. The ship turned once more and came at us from the side. This time, we all ducked. Rachel swung the bat blindly over her head, but missed. Like I said, how about if we back off? Jake suggested. We duck-walked back from the toy pile, and the little ship landed beside the other little silver ship. I stood up cautiously to be able to see. A bright red beam, thin as a hair, connected the two little craft. Jake and Rachel stood up too. Well, this isn't too weird, Rachel said. Look, the other ship is lifting off now, Jake said. 
They must have given it a jump start. Just don't hit them with the bat, Rachel. Maybe they'll leave on their own. But it was not meant to be. The two ships rose from the floor and hovered there, around eye level, pointing straight at us. Okay, have the bat ready, Jake said. They shoot, you swing. Then, to our surprise, we heard a thought-speak voice in our heads. Aliens, give us the power source. Give it to us, and we will let you live as our slaves. We will not crush and annihilate you, as we will crush and annihilate all the people of this planet. Power source? Jake echoed. The blue box, I said, understanding it all suddenly. That's why they were on the water pump. They think the blue box is a power source. Maybe it is for them, Rachel said. Not exactly polite, are they? We heard a second blustering thought-speak voice. No, we shall not let all three of you live. Only the one who brings us the power source. All others must feel the wrath of brave Homicron warriors, the true and natural leaders of the galaxy. Rachel cocked an eyebrow at Jake. Now can I hit them? I stepped forward, hoping to make peace. I held up my hands to show they were empty. I smiled. I said, Hi, welcome to Earth. Look, some of what you're saying sounds almost threatening, but I'm sure you don't mean it that way, but... Do you insult the flower of Helmogron's space forces? You may insult the crew of the Planet Crusher, but he who insults the Galaxy Blaster will be smashed into little bits, and those bits ground into dust, and that dust will be blown away by the wind. Okay, let's try again. The little beams burned neat pinholes through my morphing outfit. Then, without another word, the two tiny spaceships turned and shot out through the open door. For about ten seconds, the three of us just stared at one another. There are a lot of words for what we were feeling. Disbelief. Incredulity. Amazement. And resentment. Rachel said it first. Oh, come on. Like we don't have enough problem aliens? Then it clicked. The box. They're going back after the box. Chapter 6 Tobias, follow them. Jake said as we leapt from the loading dock platform onto the ground outside. We'll be along as soon as we can. It was time for speed. We needed to get back to the farm before the Helmicrons could manage to get hold of the blue box. We found one of the Goodwill trucks open and empty. We climbed in the back and pulled the door down to within a foot of being closed. Enough room for us to get back out when we were done morphing. I focused on the Osprey whose DNA is a part of me. I began to feel the familiar, creepy morphing sensation of pain at a distance. Morphing does shocking things to your body dissolves organs and twists bones, and causes body parts to grow where no body part had been. It should be the most hideously painful experience any human has ever endured. But the morphine technology masks the pain, like Novocaine masks the pain of having your teeth drilled. But just like when you go to the dentist, you sort of know the pain is there. I mean, you realize the pain is being created. 
it's just not reaching your brain. Very weird. Even in a morph you've done before, as I've done the osprey morph. Far, far away, there was the awful pain of skin blistering and forming feather patterns that grew and grew, thousands of quills erupting from my flesh. My back, my chest, my arms and legs, my face, all sprouted feathers as fast as one of those stop-action films of plants growing. My lids grew hard as fingernails, then pouted outward to form the sharp, hooked beak. My fingers stretched and my arms shrank, and with a snap here and a snap there, my human arm and shoulder bones became the wing and shoulder bones of a bird. I was shrinking all the while, of course, as the dark truck grew vast around me. Two of my toes melted into the others. My heel bone suddenly popped through the flesh to make the rear talon. And yet, throughout all this, throughout watching my friends undergo very similar changes, we kept up a normal flow of conversation. It's amazing what you can get used to, I guess. Wait a minute. Marco was saying. You're telling me those are actual spaceships? Three inches long? Maybe four. I said. I didn't have a ruler. Ox, what do you know about a race called the Helmocrons? Jake asked. Nothing. I have heard of no such race. How can aliens be that small? Marco demanded. It makes no sense. They'd have to have faster than light travel. In a three inch long toy spaceship? They seem to disagree, I said. I guess they don't mind being small. They certainly seem to have a high opinion of themselves. How do you mean? Axe asked. Well, they say they're going to make us all their slaves, I said. You know, conquer the world. Kind of ambitious for a bunch of sub-midgets, Marco said. We do not know how large these Helmocrons are, Axe cautioned. They may well be any size. Perhaps these spacecraft are simply robots. Miniaturized robotic scout vessels. The Helmocrons themselves may not be inside the ships. They may be elsewhere. Let's quit guessing and go find out, Rachel said impatiently. She had morphed to a huge bald eagle. She walked on her talons over to the partially open door of the truck. She ducked down, spread her wings to lower her profile, and slipped out through the gap. I followed her, hopped down onto the bumper of the truck, and from there flopped my wings and tried to get off the ground. But it was dead air there behind the Goodwill building, so I ended up scooting along the ground for a few feet before I could get enough lift to fly. I flapped hard to get the first few dozen feet of altitude, but once above the roof line, I found a gentle wisp of breeze, turned into it, and caught some easier altitude. The five of us flapped and circled and flapped some more, till we were at a safe height above the power lines and roofs and gas station signs. We set off toward my farm, hoping that was the right way to go. I searched the sky ahead of me for a glimpse of Tobias. Ospreys, like all birds of prey, have incredible eyes. But it was Rachel who spotted him, a tiny dot already halfway to the farm. There he is, Rachel said. Too far for thought speak. Let's just try and catch him, Jake said. 
Forget about staying together. Everyone go for it. We're too obvious bunched up like this anyway. Marco agreed. We look like an Autobahn Society bird recognition poster. To my surprise, we began to narrow the distance between us and Tobias. Which shouldn't really have been possible, since we weren't any faster, aside from Jake and his peregrine falcon morph. He stopped moving forward. Jake reported. He's... Oh man, he's in a dogfight with one of those ships. Ax said what I'd only begun to think. A Dracon beam too narrow to do more than sting a human being might have a very different effect on a creature as small as Tobias. Suddenly, the Helmocrons weren't all that funny. Hello, Phantomorphs, and thank you for listening to another episode of Audiomorphs, the Animorphs Auditory Experience. As always, this is your host, Daniel, and uh, I'm going to try to be quick because, who boy, it's hot today, and I turned off my fans for this. <laughs> um, thank you for listening. Sorry about last week. I, I made a boo-boo. That's on me. That's fully my fault. I take blame for that one. But uh, we have some messages now. Uh, so if you would like to reach me, you can do that through a variety of ways. Sorry about the car outside. Uh, a variety of ways. Uh, you can do that through Gmail. That's audiomorphscast at gmail.com. You can do that on Tumblr. That's audiomorphscast.tumblr.com. And you can do that, uh, of course, on my website, theapocalypse.com. That's the apocalypse, like apocalypse, but with a D in the middle. Uh, you can also reach out to me on Twitter. That's at audiomorphs. And that is where you should go if, like last week, I screwed something up and, uh, the episode's delayed. I will update you there. Speaking of all those methods of reaching me, I do have a, uh, email here from Nicholas that was sent in through audiomorphscast at gmail.com, uh, titled Just Some Thoughts. And uh, Nicholas writes in and says, Hey again, I don't have anyone else to talk with about the series, and I'm not going to the subreddit for it because of spoilers, so I guess I'll share my thoughts with you. Is it just me, or are there some inconsistencies with how morphing works in terms of healing your original form, by morphing something and then morphing back again? I'm just now starting the Hork-Bajir Chronicles reading, and in your post-show and in your post-show notes, Willis wrote in, uh, Willis wrote in, oh, uh, I just actually finished recording for next week. I decided to get a little ahead of it this time so that, you know, it doesn't happen again where I forget to record. So my tongue's a little tired. I'm a little sweaty. I'm a little flustered. Uh, sorry, I'm stumbling over this. <clears throat> Let me try that again. I'm just now starting the hork Chronicles reading. And in your post-show notes, Willis wrote in talking about using the Morphing Cube to heal Sadler. And it got me thinking. I thought I remembered Tobias healing after getting his morphing powers back when he broke his wing and got attacked by a raccoon, too. And yet, in the book where they get their Exus mass caught up in the Andalite ship in the in Z space, there's a reference to an Andalite with only one eye stalk, and how shameful it is for an Andalite to be without a tail. Uh, without a tail, when the one Andalite gets his cut off, uh, why wouldn't morphing just heal those injuries? Maybe I just missed uh, something, or maybe it's addressed later. Also unrelated, but David was such a butthole. Thank you for writing in, Nicholas, and I'm sorry I butchered your message. Uh, so there are some, uh, it's, it's never fully addressed in the book, but there are some fan theories that have been, uh, bartered around over the years. Uh, for one thing, the morphing technology is a relatively recent development. Uh, if we recall in the Hork-Bajir Chronicles, the, the, the war starts, the Yurks escape the, uh, Yurk homeworld, uh, when Aldria is just, uh, 
uh, young Andalite, and then uh, by the time she goes to the Hork-Bajir homeworld and has obtained the morphing power, she's probably uh, an adolescent Andalite. Oh boy, a loud car out there. Oh, there's some cool guys in my neighborhood. Uh, so uh, there's there's at least a span of, you know, if she's... She sounded like she was, you know, young, young um, during Ciro's kindness, you know, probably the equivalent of our, you know, six to eight years old. And then by the time the Hokkaido Chronicles start, she's probably sixteen or seventeen equivalently. And uh, it, I, I can't cite anything, but I think uh, there's some uh, textual evidence that and uh, Andalite lifespan is somewhat longer than humans. I want to say, and so we're talking about you know from eight to sixteen is an eight year span. Uh, and if Andalites uh, mature slower than an even longer span of time than that, you know, eight to maybe even 12 years, uh, which is a long time to be in war, uh, and a lot of injuries can happen in that time. And um, I don't believe that the morphing technology would heal uh, any sort of old injuries you had before you obtained the morphing technology. For example, they all still have their belly buttons, uh, even though a belly button is essentially just the scar from where your umbilical cord was cut, right? Uh, so that's one possible explanation. Another possible explanation is um, Andalites are very, very proud. That's one of their defining traits as a species, is how proud they are in their warrior culture. Uh, it could be that it is uh, it is shameful to lose your tail blade, and maybe it's even more shameful to uh, heal it back uh, using morphing technology. A third option uh, is that maybe... Um, these Andalite warriors don't really know about that property of the, uh, morphing technology. Cause if you'll, uh, well, I, get, I think in the Andalite Chronicles with Alfangor, I think we, we kind of get a glimpse into how, uh, the Andalite war mentality functions. And, um, and again mentioned, uh, by Aldrio, the war's not going to be fought by Tailblade. It's fought with shredders and ships. And so it's possible that, Morphing technology is used, I mean, not possible, I do think morphing technology is primarily used for espionage, and that uh, maybe a warrior simply wouldn't think about the secondary benefits, such as uh, the healing properties of morphing uh, in that in that context. I also, I can't remember the exact context in which that guy gets his tail cut off, so I cannot, um, I can't specify a possible reason why he specifically uh, wouldn't use morphing to heal himself. But those are my thoughts, and I think that's why you'll uh, see Andalites with injuries uh, that have not been morphed to, uh, to repair. Thank you for writing in, Nicholas, and I agree, David is a butthole. I also have a, a tweet from TJ Draxus, which I normally don't read tweets uh, on the show, I just replied to them, but this was a very good tweet that I've been thinking about all day, which was, uh, they tweeted, Hey, at Audiomorphs, if I was a controller and smoked weed... Do you think the Yurk would get high as well? Food for thought. And I honestly do not know. Um, that's a great question, and I have not come up with an answer um, based off of my knowledge of the Animorph series. Um, someone with a bit more knowledge and a bit more memory might be able to uh, chime in. Uh, my instinct is that they would be less affected than... Uh, just directly the human um, because there is ultimately they are tapping into the brain and kind of using it as a computer and so uh, I, I feel like the human body and the, like the perceptions might be affected but the yerk itself 
probably wouldn't. Yeah, you know what? Now I'm talking through it. They they wouldn't be because you know THC uh is an effect where or, or weed is an effect where THC is metabolized into your blood, and that's what gives you those uh, psychotropic effects. But the yurk's not tapped into the body's bloodstream, right? It's simply uh, manipulating your central nervous system and your brain. And so it wouldn't take any of the effects to the high, although I think probably it's, uh, you know, sight and sense of equilibrium and things that normally THC affects uh, would affect the host body and make it more difficult for the yurk to... Uh, force the body to do things. You know, I feel like it would probably make the body less dexterous than normal, but it wouldn't have the like judgment and pairing effects that uh, THC could have. Same, you know, of course, with alcohol or any other sort of drug, I think that would make the host body harder to control, but it would be kind of like playing um, that, that, uh, uh, what was that one game, you know, where you controlled one leg with two buttons on the keyboard and the other one with another two and it made it real goofy and ragdoll like i feel like it'd be kind of like that you know you'd just be wrestling for control and the body just wouldn't be responding super well that's my thought so thank you for tweeting me at that uh tj draxus that was a fun thought exercise uh let's see i already told you how to reach me uh to send me things like that uh if you have thoughts about yerkweed uh please do write in i'm so curious to know what other people think you can also leave me a rating or review on Apple Podcasts if you'd like. Uh, I do read those. You can leave me a review of Yorkweed if you want on Apple uh, Apple Podcasts. That, that'd be kind of silly, but I'd read it and I'd appreciate it. Uh, you can tell your friends about Yorkweed and discuss the merits of Yorkweed with them as well. <laughs> That's all I've got. Um, so thank you all for listening and I promise we will be back next week. My name is Daniel and I believe one day the Andalites will come. Until then, we fight.